0: and you're listening to The Sassols.
1: Welcome to Sassols with a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions. Jamie, Justin, KG, myself, Peter, dedicated to helping sales leaders or aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Please subscribe to the YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Today our guest is Janice B. Gordon. Janice is a founder of Scale Your Sales, author of Business Evolution, Creating growth in a rapidly changing world, co-author of Heels to Deals, How Women Are Dominating Business to Business Sales, and founder of the Scale Your Sales Podcast. Known as the customer growth expert in LinkedIn sales, 15 innovating sales influencers to follow 2021. She's a multi-award winning entrepreneur and consultant as well as an international keynote speaker with features in the Sunday Times and Forbes. But before we get to Janice B. Gordon, we got some Patreon love to give out to our business supporters. Unlock key account growth with Demand Farm smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM that can key account management practice data driven, predictable, and scalable. Request a demo now at demandfarm.com. Ask for
2: Iron Man AKG. What? Do you know uh, Brent Keltner? I've, I've heard of that guy and he's written some books. Maybe he's been on our show. I don't
1: know. He's got this masterclass, grow revenue faster by making the shift from product-driven selling to authentic conversations. Hey, Winaletics, build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winaletics.com. Ask for Brent and say KG sent you. Ask about the masterclass. He would also like to say, hey. Aaron J. and Trent S., thank you for your support. It's a real ego boost. Hey, looking, software developer, manager, 10 years experience, c MSSQL, SQL, Angular, React, Azure, Cloud, ask.net, core, also node, Angular web development, email pete at sassholes.net. Net. Recruiters, I got a hot one for you. Hey, KG. Yes, Pete. KG. Yes, Pete. The sheep walks into a bah. leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. KG, you got me shout-outs.
2: Yeah, I just have one. Uh, my good friend Corey Van ort She was like the fourth salesperson we hired at ZipRecruiter in the second uh second uh, hiring class back in 2013. A happy birthday to Corey, hope you're doing hope you're doing well that's it Pete just a nice guy
1: oh she's nice got teacher. a great uh, initials there a CVO I'm sure that'll be some type of acronym for uh, a promotion to somebody uh in the corporate probably. world in the next few years probably hey, probably hey Doug Salazar 15 years a career builder continue the fight my friend one of the greatest techs I've ever known Amy Anderson, three years at KXAN-TV in Austin, Texas. Okay, KG, how did we find Janice from across the pond?
2: Well, I found her sort of like two different ways. One, I found her through... Lori Richardson's, you know, women in sales uh, group. What, yeah, women sales pros, sales experts page. I mean, she's just literally listed as a as a women sales expert. But then I also did some additional research and uh, and I was looking for sales influencers on uh, on LinkedIn, and Janice came up as uh, as well. And so, you know. Hoped just like when I proposed to my wife, Pete. I I closed my eyes, hoped and prayed, and sent a message to Janice B. Gordon, uh, and hopefully she would come on the come on the show. And here she is today. Janice, thanks for coming on the show and and uh, gracing us.
0: It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to this, boys.
2: <laughs> you know, she's got her own podcast, Pete. So it's sort of like she she's like comparing. We're comparing what you know what what she's doing. You know, but uh, yeah,
1: we, we hey man, we we're just trying to expand the pie. That's all that we're trying to do: expand, expand the pie. The pie. P- yeah. Plenty plenty to go go around. Yeah. So 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 Janice, when did you become an expert in sales? Did you did you ever have to actually sell something? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Brutal.
0: This is this is like when I grow up. Well, I haven't yet grown up. So, uh, do you know, way back in the 1990s, um, we used to do stand up cold calling until they banned it here in, in Europe. I learned all of my sales skills. Um, And the sales process back then. So, yes, I'm uh, I'm of the age when I remember all of that, you know, seven, no, eight o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, stand up, cold calling. And on a Tuesday at seven o'clock in the evening, stand up, cold calling, like going through the telephone book. It's brutal. But that's where you learn a lot of your sales skills.
1: Now, hold on. Stand up. Help me out, because my version back in the day (laughs) was we took everybody's chairs away and they couldn't get, it, get them back unless they set an appointment first thing in the morning. What does that mean to you? I'm sure you don't do that across the pond.
0: No, we're a bit nicer. We don't take the chairs away, but uh, you would forfeit that you'd have to buy all the drinks in the pub, the first person to sit down.
2: <laughs> ah, that's awesome. That's well, a, how, how, how did you get from that? to where you are where you are today
0: Uh, it's an interesting journey so you know like the traditional sales working in financial services I did an uh, MBA because I wanted to expand my business knowledge I've always been in business and even that was was self-employed and I worked I moved on to work after my MBA for a customer experience consultancy and it was a real revelation and that completely changed the way i think about sales today and that i thought that we were so introverted it was all about features and benefits and not about the customer. And so customer experience is all about the customer. And so that's really been my mantra um, ever since. So I went on and I um set up a restaurant and, and bar and grew that in employing people, but used a lot of the, the sales skills um, and the customer experience skills. It was also at the time when Facebook first started. So we know what happened in 2008 with the recession, we were still growing, whereas other businesses were going out of business, because we were using... Um, we were um, using Facebook and we were using email marketing we were using a lot of the new marketing methodologies to keep our customers informed and stay close to our customers so all of the customer experience allowed me to sell more and allowed me to guarantee my sales so I thought there's something in here that we're not picking up in the B2B world so when I came out of working um, in this that environment and started consultancy I maintained the real customer focus which is why now I'm called the customer growth expert really looking at sales from the customer point of view and that's all of what I do for for companies
2: that's so uh, MBA restaurant bar well uh, consultancy MBA restaurant bar b2b work am I hearing you right Yeah, you you are. Do you, um, I always thought about going and getting an MBA and I never did it because I was making too much money in sales and I couldn't justify taking the time off. Uh, Do you, do you um, not regret, that's not the right word, but do you think getting the MBA was worth it?
0: Uh, Yes, because. I think it changes your mindset. You're not expected to know everything, but you actually know everything's out there so you can actually gain the experience. I've never been the kind of consultant that's worked for the big six and I create a uh, a program and walk away and then the customer puts it in their bottom drawer having spent thousands of pounds. I've always been, I really want to make sure that I'm helping people to make not only the mindset shifts, but the behavioral shifts as well. So it's all very well strategizing, but you've got to implement it. I want to be around to share in the success and the results. So I've always been that type of implementer.
2: Got it. Got it. Interesting. You know, we had somebody on the show, uh, recently, uh, it was John Barrow and he Barrow's and he talked about 10, 10, 60, 30, 10% of the people that you train are just going to be like, whatever, this doesn't make any sense. 30%, 60% of the people are going to be like, I'll take one thing and maybe that's okay. And, and like 30% are just going to be like, whatever, you know, you're sticking around to create that behavior change can you really do it in mass like if, if do you believe in the 10 30 60 that that John Barrow was talking about and making making those changes i mean cuz there's obviously people that are just like oh, whatever just be Gordon, you know like 10% like do you like you stick around for that change is that is that worth it well,
0: well i think you have what i do is I assess organizations to see where the gaps are. We often can't see what's in front of our own nose. And so if you're able to do a diagnostic, a sales-specific diagnostic based upon that company, that that sales team, um, that vertical that they're working in, you know, based on their own unique situation, and then you can see where the gaps are. What I'm about is filling those, those gaps and often, I meet lots of salespeople who have been selling for years, and they may not be hitting targets. I mean, after all, the the stats hasn't changed. 50% of salespeople do not hit targets for the last 30 years. Now, what's that telling us? It's telling us what we're doing isn't working. So whether it's John Barrows or anybody, what we're doing in terms of training sales is not working. But we seem to keep doing it. It's ridiculous. So, you know, I think we've got to look at, we've got to look at the systems and processes, all of the support systems that are actually there. We have managers that don't know how to coach. We have leaders that don't know how to coach. We know um, with training within what a month, the majority of that training has been forgotten. So it's the coaching that changes the behavior, not the training, not the hit and run chain training. You've got to keep going in and keep embedding that learning and changing the behavior. So that's what I'd say on one thing. So maybe the 30% of the people that you might write off well, actually it could be the way that you're training. And then the other thing is when you're doing the assessment, there may be some people that are in the wrong role. So if you assess they're in there, it doesn't matter how much training Training you give them if they're in the wrong role for their unique skills and strengths. Not that we're not focusing on training for the weaknesses, but looking at their unique skills and strengths you put them in the right role guess what they're going to excel easily so this is why you need the right type of assessment to actually look at your organization your people your processes and if you align all of those and get those right you're more you're gonna sell you're gonna sell you can't help but sell because you're well aligned
1: janice you said 50 percent are not hitting quota is that a problem
0: is, well, it's a problem in that it's a cost to the sales organisation. It's a huge waste to the sales organisation. It costs a lot to recruit, to retrain, to so onboard these people. And then if they're not actually not hitting targets, then it's a loss to the company.
1: What what percentage should hit the target then?
0: It's going to change from from year to year. But I would, you know, I would aim for an eighty percent of people hitting hitting targets. That's what what would be my my aim. And that's what I get my organizations to look at. But you can't do that if you simply go in and train. You have to assess where you are, where the gaps are, move people around, and then you're going to be hitting 80% of, of targets. There's a guarantee if you recruit the right people for the right role and you enable them by onboarding them correctly, they are going to be within the top quartile within a year. So we're, it's all of the systems and processes and onboarding around enabling that person that is actually putting the, the barriers up for that person to perform.
1: You said the key word recruitment and I'm, is that synonymous with assessment? Like, there's different strategies to build a team uh you can spend zero money on recruitment and just hire everybody and then uh have processes in place to weed people out uh what percentage of your budget and time should you be spending on the assessment piece of things or recruitment yeah that's
0: uh, that's what they used to do there's some uh the 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 ones that survive are the winners really. And we allow, so we're recruiting a huge number of people and we actually expect a huge number to fail. Well, really? This is some backward way of running a uh, professional organization. And this uh, is why sales really does have a, have a problem because a, a lot of organizations are stu- still doing that. <clears throat> Often we do not count the cost of, of waste, the time that that poor sales manager has to work with poorly trained people that they kind of spend time with, but they expect to leave. What a waste. Why are we working in this kind of negative environment? Instead, Instead of recruiting 100 or 10 people, why don't you recruit one? But you recruit the one right person. You invest a lot less time in the one right person. You have really good onboarding processes. Within a short space of time, they are performing. And not only are they performing, they're accelerating. Then you recruit the other one, <laughs> you know, there's a lot less of management time in recruitment. And then we're talking about the way that we recruit. I like this guy, but they went to the same university as me you know, they look like me, I understand them, they're going to succeed. This is nonsense, absolute nonsense. We really need to look at the um, uh, rather than personality testing. I mean, how can you say if I'm a dominant, dominant person, that I'm going to be a good salesperson? Tell me where the link is. There is no link. You know, we shouldn't be using personality testing to define what is good in sales. What we should be using in sales to define what's good is sales-specific data that has a history.
1: How do you do that in recruiting, though?
0: You, um, you would give them a, a questionnaire. So the questionnaire has particular questions that are will eke out whether they have the willingness to, they have the willingness, the behaviors, whether they have competencies, even if they haven't worked in sales, we're selling all mm-hmm. the time. So mm-hmm. it's about, really measuring what their competence is, what their behaviors, what their mindset is, what their willingness is. So you give them the question before you interview them. Mm. The questionnaire will actually be able to tell you whether this is a good candidate or not. Then when you interview, I don't want a manager interviewing them without any training. I want the manager to ask the same question in the yeah. same way to yeah. the um, different groups of people. You have to set up processes that are measurable in order to then put everyone through that process to see which are the ones that are going to come out on top of the process. Yeah. Not throwing them to the wall and see who's going to survive.
1: You think it's, role play role play is a, a positive thing to do in the interview process to see, give them a scenario and see if they can sell their way out of it or into it?
0: A lot of uh, Um, sales schools are doing this now, aren't they? Yes, I I mean, I think it works really well, but when you're doing it in a controlled environment, so you have sales schools that will have these competitions and role play, it's a controlled environment. And so every, every candidate goes through the same process. It becomes measurable. You can see who comes out on top. The problem is when you have role play and you're doing it in a sales organization, it isn't a controlled environment, and there's a lot of bias that's that's in there. So it is good, but it's the way that you apply it.
2: Hmm. I actually haven't. I, I mean, I'm in Los Angeles here, and I did away with the role play process years and years ago ago because I found that people were far better at acting the part than actually doing the job. And I and I found literally no correlation between those that did well in the role play and those that did well in sales. When we were hiring for enterprise salespeople at ZipRecruiter though, we did include a role play. Um, but the role play was had very specific goals. And that was can can they use, you know, can they create their own deck in Google, you know, Google Slides? Can they use uh, Zoom uh, and Google Google Meets, like technologically, can they use them? Can they do uh, a decent discovery? Um, and some very, we had some very, very specific, you know, goals, not to see, you know, how gregarious they were, that was irrelevant to the, to, you know, to the process, Um uh, but I have some strong opinions on on that role play, obviously. But I think you know, Pete, you know, Pete and I are like grizzled old, you know, inside sales leaders. Well, we just we gotta
1: of- let's let's clear it up. We're we're talking about SDRs right now. We're not talking about account executives. They're coming out of school. People coming out of school 15, 20 years ago are different from the people coming out of school right now. Two two different things. So again, I'm going to repeat myself, but. You, you have kids coming out of a structured environment where they expect outcomes and then they get re, they get introduced into this process where nothing is expected because you don't know the person on the other end of the telephone or the the monitor they'll give an outcome that is not expected and they get frustrated and then they they split so I'm just kind of curious in the recruitment process how you can weed some of that stuff out Because if you do a better job on recruitment, uh, bringing the people in, there's less wasted time on training and whatnot, and I'm just trying to figure out what that right formula is, and that's why I bring it up.
0: Yeah, and you were talking about the role play in terms of assessing skills as opposed to assessing personality. And I would agree with that. Whether that is role play or or not, I'm, I'm not so sure, but it's an assessment of skills, a test on skills. Yeah, fine. And I think even if you have somebody going into a sales role that has no experience of sales, whether they've come from uh, a, a university, college, and they've done role-playing there in a controlled environment, or whether they've come from a completely different environment, they're going to fail. They're going to fail on the fo- every avenue that you put them through, they're going to fail. Great, they've learned something. But they've only learned something if you have the, got the right mentor you know, or coach with them that understands what's the aim of what you're testing for and understands that, you know, they are going to fail and they they don't get, you know, kind of screamed out. You know, the old way of selling when you fail, you get screamed at as as opposed to really nurturing them through the process because it's going to be completely foreign whether they've come out of school and they've had some I well, they think they've had some idea, or whether they've come from a different environment. Sales is quite a unique in, in environment, and you have to go through the trial by fire in yeah. order to come out the other end, really. yeah.
1: Well, when you have 100% success rate coming out of college, and then you're going into 95% failure rate in sales, that is something that they can go through the interview process. They can say all that they want. And what's going to determine it is the first two weeks they're on the job after training that they're doing it. Are they resilient enough? Are they curious enough to continue on, you know, the, the process? And yeah. it's hence is a, the, is,
0: hence having the questionnaire yeah. prior to even interviewing, That's you know, right. you're going to filter out. Are they resilient? Is there a willingness to sell? How do they cope with with failure, feedback? That's what you want to know. And if they are resilient, then they're going to be able to bounce back whatever the situation is. Yes. So that's what you really want to be testing before you bring them into the interview um, process.
1: All right, you got me going on questionnaires, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Where, Where does the benchmark come from? What do you, com- like, where, where are you set it, setting the level? And can people game the system, answering the questions, kind of perceive the way the, the, the question should be answered? I, I, like, where do, Let's start with a benchmark. You have a question mark. There's so many companies out there. I, I, I've used them, I'm sure you've used them. What do you compare success? What is the database that you compare success to? Do you take your current successful reps that maybe just got successful now or don't have the same traits as when you did the benchmark a year and a half ago? Like, how do you set that up?
0: Okay, well, you know, I'm licensed to a, a company and I'm not going to be kind of like um, selling the company. Um, sell the to company,
1: because <laughs> is that, is that I'm going to sell myself to them.
0: <laughs> right. Okay, it's an organization um called OMG, Objective Management and Group. They've been going for over 25 years. It's the only verified sales um, specific data. So it's not a personality test. So now if you've got millions and millions of people that have um, answered the questionnaire over the last 25 years, and you know what good looks like in for each of the key points that they're they're measuring, then when you put in your person into that, we're able to say Is this a fit? Is this a match? Is this, uh, would we recommend them based upon that that source of data that we've had before? So we're able to see, you know, willingness to sell. How can we actually measure those things? What does good look like? How does this, this person measure up to that? competence. And there's going to be different levels of competence if you're an SDR or a BDM, even if you're a sales leader or a manager. So the types of questionnaires are going to uh, are going to change based on what is the role that you're recruiting for? What is the industry you're recruiting for? What's unique about that particular company that they need to fill a gap in their sales team? So you put in those questions to refine it for that particular person for that role for that industry, for the culture of that organization. And we, as I say, we've we've got 25 years, millions of data points that we're measuring this again and can and guarantee if you accept our recommendation that they'll be within the top quartile within the first year.
1: So so in a controlled study, I'm sure you, you you take a group that didn't do the questionnaire and a group that did and you've seen the results where the group that took it are What's the number you're using since you want to sell?
0: Well, it's 95%. 95% of the people that we recommend would be in the top quartile.
2: There are lots of
0: companies that will say, oh, you know, I really like this guy. And it's like, well, all we can do is advise you. We don't go back a year later and said, well, told you so. But actually the data, you know, I'm not a data scientist, but I trust 25 years, millions of data points, really. It's a bigger brain than I've got. And so, yeah, 95%. Why would you waste the money otherwise? It's just a lot of stress when you're trying to get rid of poorly before um, performing salespeople. We've all been through that. It is really onerous. Why would you want to do that to yourself? I want to focus on my customers. I want to focus on growing my company. I don't want to focus on and I don't know any sales leader that wants to go down that line. But yet we still say, oh, trust my gut. Let me let me recruit someone I like.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, look. I, I subscribe, even for the most junior of level salespeople, Janice. I uh, subscribe to hire slow, fire fast, and any additional data points that I can that I can gather f- during the interview process, I'll use it if I can get you know data from an assessment. But here's here's what I have seen, and this is my own mistakes that I've been slapped and con- you know c- uh, uh, corrected. I think a lot of people overvalue assessments and use it as a single data point, and uh, and uh, make hiring decisions solely based on, hey, the assessment came back and said this one should fall into the ninety fifth percentile, so let's just make the hire. There's, I believe that while that's the MRI in the interview process, there's still other examination that, you know, an x-ray and a physical that needs to occur during the interview process. Do you see some of your clients overvaluing the, the assessment? I mean, you can't just give them the assessment and say, just hire this person, right?
0: I haven't seen any other, I mean, I really looked into this. I haven't seen any other assessment that tailors the question to the culture of the organization, to the particular role, mm. to the industry sector that they're in we, you know, and unless you actually have that, it doesn't really matter what questions you're asking from a, a, a database, you have got to tailor those questions. Yeah. And if the, um, the results are, we would advise you to recommend this, uh, 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 recruit this person. This person's recommended is based on the information you gave the, the questionnaire. It's yeah. based on the requirements that you said you wanted. Right. So why would you go against that? You've you've said you've put in the requirements. Totally. And this is said based on the data that you wanted. This is a recommend. It seems crazy that you would. Go against that, really. But, but what I'm
2: getting at is, should they? This is awesome, by the way, because I we can go back and forth on assessments forever. And I want to know about your book, by the way. Um, should they just give the assessment and then make the
0: offer? What do you mean, give the assessment? So, oh, do, oh, I see what the, you mean. From assessment, no, you would still have a. It would narrow you down to one or two people you would want to uh, recruit, but. We're still in a people business, so yes. you would still want to, you know, meet the person. But actually, and then be the the question also gives you when you do interview, it gives you some um, interview questions for that particular person, right? Yeah. So there's certain things you may want to investigate further. There may be they may their willingness to sell maybe a hundred percent, but in terms of the competence, there may be one or two. Uh, warning areas not enough to not be recommended they're the areas you want to investigate so it really directs who may not be a professional interviewer what are the areas you need to cover off that can't be covered within the, the the questionnaire it highlights those areas you need to investigate further but it's still what we're saying they're recommended once you feel happy about those gray areas, then you can put that into how you would go forward and coach that person.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, good. I I think we've uh, I think we've exhausted the assessment category.
1: Oh <laughs> no, we haven't, but. Oh, no, no. oh no, Pete!
0: <laughs> Pete!
1: <laughs> don't don't <laughs> look. You you talk about twenty five years. I'll talk to you about twenty five years. But what I do <laughs> want to know is your book. Why your sales don't scale? Why don't company sales scale?
0: Right. This is because we treat um, we treat companies like well, we treat sales like an accounting piece. We have all these numbers that we measure against KPIs, and we feel that this is a way of controlling our sales pipeline and our sales people as well. And forgetting that actually sales is a human business. It's human to human, even B2B, it's human. So that's that's one reason. We rely on those those numbers and we forget about the people in in the business. And that's all of the nuances that we need to be aware of. And then secondly, we internally focus on product features and, and benefits. And this worked up until 2000, 2005. But thereafter, since 2006, there have been a meteoric rise in, in social media and access to information. Our buyers have changed. The way they access information has changed. So you can't continue to sell in the way that you sold previously because everything else has has changed around you. So the reason why sales don't scale is because you haven't adapted enough and you haven't aligned yourself to to your, your buyers. They will not scale unless you're able to stay close to your key customers. They will not scale unless you have an organization that's aligned to your key customers. They will not scale unless you have humanity within your business. I'm not saying you don't have numbers. Numbers are really important, but it shouldn't be led by that when you're, I'm not talking about recruitment now, but you know, when you're growing and scaling a a business.
1: KG?
2: I mean, there's so so much to unpack there. I know that you're not saying shy away from the numbers though. You're not, you're not saying like, forget the old F, the whole FP a department that doesn't exist, you know, like the, but, but, uh, but you're, you're suggesting to make a more, um, uh, a, a more um, human oriented and customer oriented organization. Right.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We are so locked into the sales process. How long have we had that sales process mm-hmm. how when you look at books on the sales process the seven steps to sales hmm. tell me how many of them have, have changed
2: all of them oh well all the old them. one the old ones have not Yeah, you know, the miller Hyman's and all that kind of stuff yeah same same yeah. old same old stuff
0: right Have far in that time I, I, in the way you speak to your buyers and the way you communicate with your buyers in the the way your buyers buy, has that changed?
2: Totally changed. So how come
0: the two things are not matching up? How, how, that's, that's what I'm talking about. The sales process and the numbers around the sales process and how you move people along. People don't move along in that way anymore.
2: No, no, that's, it's, it's so true. You know, it's funny. Several of my clients, um, I'm advising many of my clients to be looking for heads of sales that are process oriented individuals that can help and work with revenue operations to build a sales process that mirrors their customers buying process And, and while there's you know a lot of buyers go through similar stages it's not exactly the same you know you can't just ta- I, this is a learning lesson that that i've had through my my career you can't just take an off the shelf sales process that you you know downloaded off of wherever and just slap it onto your team you've got to do some customization to match your customer's buying process i've always i've always said that the best sales process Matches your customers' buying process, so why wouldn't it be customized? Uh, you know, why wouldn't it be? So this is perfect, by the way, Janet, Janice, excuse me, um, my sister's name is Janet. Sorry. Um, how do you? So, so given that, let's now look to the future. How how do we future proof our sales organizations?
0: And I think it's really interesting. You're coming up against a lot of organizations that are slapping that sales process, even today, slapping that sales process, even new organizations onto their salespeople and say, go run with that. Instead, You know, future proof. Well, if if you were transitioning from one to the other, I would get your key customers in a room, interview them and go through what is their buying process? How do they buy? Who's involved? All of that. These are your key customers. So the 80-20 rule, 20% of your customers give you 80% of your revenue. So, Even if you have thousands of customers, it's not a lot of people you need to be focusing on. After all, this is 80% of your revenue. So, you know, I would understand inside out the way that they buy. Then that you're going to retrofit what you do as a sales organization into that. So you're not going to be hitting all of the markers. You don't need to. What you need to do is you need to understand what are the moments of truth? What are the areas that are gonna make the biggest impact to your customers? They're the ones you need to focus on. So you've got your buyer's journeys, Because it's not going to be one, it's several, and there's going to be some that you're going to excel at, and the ones you excel at, those touch points, those crossover points, those decision-making points, the things that are going to move your buyers forward, the ones you're going to sell at are the ones that are going to create the biggest impact for your customers. You're retrofitting what you're doing internally to suit your key customers externally. And you think, well, what about the rest of our customers? Well, actually, if you're hitting the markers of your key customers, you're hitting the majority of the markets of everyone else right Mm -hmm. but you're aligning it to the way your buyers your key buyers prefer to buy you're not starting with your process first you're starting with their process first because they're the ones in control so that's what i would say to organ and what i work with organizations that are in transition and in terms of future-proofing you organize you've got to continue to stay relevant to your customers so i would still work with who are my key customers who are the ones that are bringing in the, and i would um make sure that I create partnerships with them. So you're going through the building trust, um, being the trusted advisor to now having a partnership with them. You want to be so closely aligned so that they trust you and they bring you into the decisions even when there isn't a sale at the end of it. That's where you want to get to. As your buyers grow, you're buying, you're growing too. If you're hitting their revenue targets, guess what? You're hitting your revenue targets. Your customers, your buyers understand you're a business and you need to be profitable. But the more profitable you make them, the more profitable you are. In sales, we need to do this three to 160 degree change of view from an inside out organization to an outside in organization it's hard it is hard
2: well because well,
0: we, well no i was
2: just well i was gonna say two things first of all pete just make a note next time we need to have somebody that's a little bit more passionate on the show He's not <laughs> passionate enough okay no Who noted yeah, <laughs> duly noted.
0: Um,
2: but no, Janet, I saw uh, Janice. God, I did it again. Don't my worry. Th- I
0: know. I'm your sister. We're my called.
2: sister's birthday <laughs> is next Monday. And uh, anyway, never mind. Um, so um, I did see that you wrote, you just said it, but now I'm going to have to ask because you you did write about inside out versus outside in organizations there. Uh, what What is that? What, what are those types? And, we, and which is better? I don't even know.
0: Well, traditionally, we're inside out organizations. We're focused on the sales process. We're focused on features and benefits. We, we want to sell. Mm. We're hitting targets. Our target. Quarterly targets got nothing to do with the customer's year and what their needs are. So that's an inside out um, organization. And I recently um, uh, delivered a keynote on, on this last week and it was to the kind of banking uh, global banking sector. And so I asked them to kind of raise their hands if they're a, a outside in organization, banking sector, right? Who amongst <laughs> us have not had problems with our, our banks, right? Set up, that was a set up. <laughs> About eighty percent of them raised their hands really high and said, "You know, we're inside out. You know, we've heard of voice of the customer. We've heard of things like customer experience. We're an we're an outside in organization." So then I kind of went through the um, keynote and and started asking them, you know, various questions to that they need to to pose to whether they are. And then I surveyed them uh, le- afterwards and there are a lot less people that were demanding that they are outside in organisations. Yeah. And, you know, the key thing is, is I think the key thing is our perspective. We think that we're taking on the customer's perspective when we are talking about the benefits to them. Mm. And we think that, you know, we're getting really clever about getting customers what we think they need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then when I ask them, when was the last time you asked your customer? It's like you get heads kind of turning, really. It's like they don't want to be picked on. They haven't asked the customer. So what we do is just enough as a sales organ, just enough to get them into our funnel, just enough to get them down. Just enough. We do just enough thinking about the customer but actually we how do we know it's the customer's perspective unless we start asking them mm-hmm. how do we know that we're a customer-centric organization unless we start sending some targets uh, not some targets some some measures in place to measure that you know so i'm not talking about the net promoter score
2: yeah you know? i hate the net promoter oh. score <laughs>
0: I'm not talking, <laughs> talking about that. You know, we all get it on our phone and we kind of like press nine, but we really hate the organization and we certainly wouldn't recommend them. I'm not talking about these standardized. We, we're particularly lazy in sales. We've got to go that bit further and work that much harder to really be intentional about the people, the processes, the questions we ask ourselves, how If you say this is the customer's um, perspective, I want you to ask yourself, how do you know? Mm. And as soon as you start interrogating what you think is the customer, you realize it isn't. How can you measure that? That's why I want... You, how do you know it's the customer's um, perspective? How can you measure that they're, they're, they're ha- I mean, really measure that they're happy? What will tell you that? You know, how often do you go back into the organize? How often is the, the customer around the table when you're creating a new feature, a new benefit? How often do you have a Feedback from the customer when you're onboarding, you know, so when they're a year in, when they're six six months in. How often do you go and talk to them and gather that data? How often do you know when they've reached a block that so, so they're they're running with the product, but there's going to be several little blocks in use of the product from different departments within the customer organization. But you think, well, how can I get that data? That's your problem. You need to get that data. You need to find that out. This is what I mean when you're a partnership to that organization. If when you sell that product and that service, you say that we, um, we want to continue to innovate this product at, I don't know, no cost to you, And we will need to come in and survey or we'll need to um, drop a code in. So we're gathering this data. We want to sit around the table and talk to you about what this means. We want to talk to you about where we're failing to meet some of our own internal targets. Uh, We need to give them more information that they need so they know that we're working on their behalf. Mm. Unless you're doing that, not sell it and leave it. Unless you're doing that, You are not an outside in organization unless you've got those markers in six months, one year, a year and a half from now that you're gathering that feedback and making those changes and telling and talking to your customers about it. You're not an outside in organization. Very few organizations are doing that. And that's why lots of them did not raise their hands after I went through all of these things.
1: So, So Janice, take a sip yeah (laughs) so (laughs) so 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 not a lot a lot of us can say we've been in sales for 25 years i think everybody in here would say we're pretty pretty close to it as each year ticks by don't you see the value of sales people being lesser and lesser as time goes on and my case in point is it's been more you see the rise of the chief revenue officer versus chief sales officer. Okay. Product and marketing being intertwined. So it's such a good product that everybody knows about that you don't need that high level of salesperson in order to sell it because the demand is is already there. Uh also 25 years ago you had salespeople because the information was decentralized. You needed a salesperson to go out to market and distribute the knowledge. Now, everybody has three buyers or three (laughs) sellers that they're looking for and they're looking like, convince me why you're one of the three, when they call up. Do you see the value of sales going down, the revenue process value going up? I'll hang up and listen for my answer.
0: (laughs) The, The value of sales is going up, not down, but it's the sales has changed. Remember I said about that gap between the two, the salesperson now is a business consultant. And so that if you're able to service the customer's needs, help the customer understand what their needs are, help the customer sell in, the customer's more selling your product in their organization than you are. If you understand that, then you're, how you are you going to enable that? You can only enable that if you understand the 20 or so people that are around the uh, buying unit, the decision-making unit. Your job is to gather enough information to enable the person to sell it into the organization on your behalf. Your job is to help them to interpret the information that they need. Your job is to understand what are the the business goals, the customers' business goals, and the cut uh, and what are their goals for their customer. Your job is to help them to understand that and understand the process and and the barriers, and remove them. You're not working in that organisation, but you are really, you are really. So your role has changed. Less is it on closing and i must say i could do a whole hour on some of the words that we use in sales that's can we say
1: synonymous with risk and pay at risk because
0: absolutely absolutely
1: Absolutely. so the the salesperson isn't taking on as much risk as back in the day so does that mean that maybe they should get a a better salary and a lower overall compensation or do you take pay at risk away and just pay them full salary
0: um, yes. <laughs> yes. It's going to be different for different organizations. and uh, um, I'm asking
1: yeah. your organization.
0: Well, Why do we know, need pay at risk? <laughs> the, I, when I first started in sales, I was commission only. And so I was incentivized by the commission. I don't think that that model works now. And I think when, because we don't have got, any
1: control. The company has, if you're getting hundred percent commission, company has no control over your actions.
0: Yes. Well, the I I would expect my company to trust me as I I you know trust the organisation I I work with. There's got to be some mutual basis for our agreements here, right? And I think that so much has changed in sales that. All of these salespeople have been working from home, and it's been very uncomfortable for sales leaders not having this team of people that he can keep his beady eye on and watch. You know, all of that has gone. Really, I think that you know the it, the culture within sales has got to, got to change. So, if we take away measuring people um, by the um, uh, revenue, and we're looking at, well, how else can we measure? Activity. How can we, else can we we measure um, customer feedback? How else can we measure and reward people? If we look at really what the outcome is, what we want are, are lifelong customers. Ideally, how do we get that lifelong customer? What kind of behaviors do we need in order to achieve that? Regardless of what we're talking about, SDRs, you know, BDMs. It doesn't really matter what other kind of behaviors that we need to mimic in order to make sure we have a particular type of customer that is happy with our product and service. That is what we need to be measuring and that is what we need to be rewarding people on.
1: Will we find any of that in your book, Business Evolution, Creating Growth in a Rapidly Changing World?
0: say Pete, that is a great link really good i'm impressed by that fantastic
1: we'll keep that in
0: (laughs) yes and uh, business evolution creating growth in a rapidly changing world it talks about the four essential p's personality purpose pleasure and process these are the uh in the you can use it in two ways, personal benchmarks and organizational benchmarks. Is there a match between how I show up in my working environment from my personality? Is there a match there with the culture that I'm working in? Is there a match in in terms of my purpose what i'm here to do what my strengths and skills are what my values are and the purpose of the organization am i aligned with that and the purpose of the organization is is to make their customers happy and how they they go about doing that and then in terms of pleasure this is around the customer experience does the culture of the organization And the way that they deliver great experiences to the customer, is that aligned to how I want to um, please my customers? And then processes, this is around how is the processes of the organization maintaining those relationships, keeping the customers happy, is that aligned with the way that I want to work? So you know that the company allows me to work from home and, and allows me to ha- take holidays when I want them, just as long as i'm meeting the the targets of behavior um, successes with my customers' activity um, um, uh, uh, um KPIs and so forth so it's really about understanding those those four areas and if there's an alignment between me and the organization is alignment between the organization and the customers
1: Janice B Gordon thank you so much for coming on the show today
0: thank you it's been an absolute pleasure I've loved it that for
1: awesome. our listener for our listeners and viewers what's your preferred way to, of getting contacted uh case we we pick up a couple customers for you and if we do just wet our beaks
0: (laughs) yes no problem uh janice b gordon if you put that in uh linkedin you'll only find me and you'll find all of my social media links whether it's linkedin twitter or or instagram um janice b gordon my um uh, speaking website or scale And you can go and um, visit the podcast and everything else to do is scale your sales.
1: Janice. Great job. Great job. Loved it. On uh, behalf of Jamie, Justin, KG, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. If you like what you heard today, please like, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm just telling you the algorithms really love it. When you hit that little bell and subscribe, It'll take 30 people from learning about SaaS to 3,000. We'd like to say thanks to our Patreon supporter for supporting our content. It's a real ego boost. Please give us five stars in the Apple Podcast. KG, okay, you know anything
2: about Brent Keltner? He's got a masterclass. I've heard it's a masterful masterclass.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, if you got a challenge for training and enablement, stuck in the old product-driven model, the, the even bigger challenge is changing the product-driven mindset, your solution is... Brent Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass with sales and marketing expert, Brent Keltner. It's a free 60-minute growth consultation at winolytics.com. We'd also like to thank Aaron Jay and Trent S. Hey, let's not forget about Iron Man. A lot of key account growth with Demand Farm smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Request a demo now at demandfarm.com. Ask for Ironman. Hey, recruiters, you're looking for a uh, a good software manager. We got a good one here. 10 years. I don't know what these acronyms are, but there's a no j's in there. Check it out. Email Pete at sassholes.net if you're interested. All right, guys, thank you for listening. Cue the non copyrighted music.